Well, good morning again, and we're looking at Psalm 126. It's a story of a well-known preacher who was getting criticized, and he was being criticized for putting too much humor into his sermons. Laughter? Frivolous. More gravity, young man. Etc. One time a woman came up to him after the service and said things to him along those lines, and his reply was so classic, it has become famous down through history. He said, my good lady, if you only knew how much I restrain myself. (laughs) Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers in the 19th century in London, famous preacher who loved to use laughter, and he did it very well. This psalm shows us how that can be done, why that should be done, how laughter and God, laughter and church, wow, how those two can go together. Even more surprisingly, how God and joy can combine how they are friends, not enemies of each other, the experience of joy and God. So Psalm 126, page 517, let's pray as we turn to God's word. Father, would you please restore us that we might this morning not only hear about joy, but through the power of your word, your gospel, by your spirit, be restored to joy. And we ask this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. So, my friends, Psalm 126, 517 in the Pew Bibles. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter. And our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, what I want this morning is not only to teach you about joy from this psalm, but in being clear about what this psalm says about joy, actually for us, you and I, as we study God's Word, to be transformed by that Word that message from God this morning, that he 
is speaking and his word does not return to him empty. So so to actually be transformed by that word, not only to be taught about joy, but to discover the secret of joy, to experience it, to be transformed, to be restored to joy. That's what I want, that's my hope, that's my prayer, as you heard when I was praying just a moment ago. Now let's define our terms, shall we? When I say joy, I don't just mean the tendency, and this psalm does not just mean this tendency either, not just the tendency that some people have because of their temperaments. I mean, there are some people who are just happier than other people, right? Uh, I don't know why. For some reason or other, because of their temperament, however you figure out that thing, there are people who are just wired to be nearly constantly smiling. There's even a preacher who's called the Smiling Preacher, I hear. I watched a YouTube clip of him. It was incredible. (laughs) He was preaching like this. There are people just like that. There are people who wake up in the morning singing a cheery song and they look at their breakfast cereal and they just clap their hands with delight. (laughs) Cornflakes. They're like little puppies every morning. I've met people like that and I hate them. (laughs) Just kidding. You know the Snoopy t-shirt that was popular when Charlie Brown was all the rage sometime before the last millennium. I hate people who sing in the morning. Some people are morning people. Other people are normal people. (laughs) Some people just feel happier than others. It's a temperament thing, you know. I'm not talking about that. This psalm is not talking about that. So let's define what we mean by joy. Nor am I talking about faking it. You know what I mean in church? How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm great too. Oh, good. See you later. <laughs> and some cheesy joy that plasters a smile on your face. Or even worse, the kind of joy that is projected on other people, you know. Oh, you're having a terrible time. You know, rejoice in the Lord always, brother. Thanks very much. You know, let me punch you in the nose and see how much you're rejoicing then. (laughs) So I'm not talking about faking it or trying to get other people to fake it. Rejoice in the Lord. Are you happy yet? You should be. Um, so, So we're defining our terms, joy. But nor am I, nor is this psalm, we're defining what the psalm means by joy. This psalm is not either talking about the kind of deep Christian joy. You know, the joy that where the mouth goes down rather than up. I have deep joy. So deep 
You practically need to drill an oil well to discover it. Ah, we've struck oil. Look, there's a little bit of joy. I've got deep Christian joy, brother. I'm not talking about that either. Now, what I'm talking about, what the psalm is talking about, is, this is the prayer, not just to be taught about this, not just to talk about this, but through the power of God's word to discover, to experience the secret of true, true joy. That's what the passage is about. Now, it doesn't use the word secret, you may have noticed. It uses instead the word dream. Dream. So why does it use that word? Here's what I think. Uh, the, uh, the ancient world, when it used the word dream, when it referred to dreams, always by its first referent, didn't mean a daydream, it meant an actual dream, the sort of dream you had when you were asleep. So when the psalmist says this was like dreaming, he's referring to an incredibly positive, wonderful experience, a dream, a really good dream. He's saying this is like that. This is so good that when you get it, you think, wow, that's like living the dream, man, in that contemporary expression. I'm living the dream. Truly. 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 That's the sort of joy that the psalm is talking about. It's a little like, perhaps, you know, the story of C.S. Lewis. He, he wrote his uh, biography of how he became a Christian, and he called it, interestingly, surprised by joy. He was surprised by joy. Why was he surprised? Because he found joy in God. It was a big surprise. He'd be looking for joy in all sorts of other places. He'd been reading the pagan poets and indulging in all sorts of atheistic experiences and foibles. The last thing in the world he expected was to find joy in God. You see, he'd been brought up in his own background to think that religion was very strict, a very somber, a very pharisaic sort of thing. Lo and behold, where did he get joy? In God. Now that's the secret. To take away, to throw away all our ideas that the joy juice is found in other things. And that God, well God is the sort of serious, gloomy, despondent, negative, critical, religious maniac who will smack you over the wrists with a wooden, wooden spoon as soon as you step out of line. <laughs> Take that, throw it away, and realize that actually God, for those who will trust him, is the joy factory. He made it, he wants to give it to us. That's the dream. And it can come true for you today. This is God's word 
This is not a theoretical exercise. There's intellectual content. We shouldn't make the mistake of thinking that mind and heart are separated. There's intellectual content, but by the power of God's word as we look into it, if we combine that with repentance, throw that away, and faith, trust God, this can be real for you and for me right now. So I want to tell you the dream, as the passage does here, and then I want to tell you how you can get the dream. First then, the dream. So look down with me at the Bible, page 517 or in the, in the bulletin, page, uh, Psalm 126, first uh, three verses. And I'm going to read it out again because I want you to see various aspects of it so that you really get this dream. So look down with me again, beginning ver- uh, verse 1. What does it say there? When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Now, we looked at Zion last week. Zion stands for the whole story of the people of God. It's about God's people, that whole story throughout the Bible that finishes in the heavenly Jerusalem. So this is God's people, Zion. So when the Lord restored the fortunes of God's people, or Zion, that is when God brought back God's people to where they should be have been all along. Now, I want you to notice there's a connection between verse 1 and verse 4. So verse 1 says, when this happened, when God restored, then with very similar language, verse 4 says, as it were, God, could you make this happen? Would you restore our fortunes, the fortunes of God's people? So this is why we have in the first part of the psalm, the dream, and then the second part of the psalm, how we get that. That is asking God to restore our fortunes. So I want you to notice that. I also want you to realize and to notice that fortune here doesn't mean sort of, you know, I've been playing the gaming tables and finally I got lucky. It's not saying I've been down on my luck and here's my lucky break. No. The fortune word mirrors the restore word. So it is saying here something like, when God restored us to a restored situation, back to where we should have been. And it's the same in verse 4. Let God, would you God, restore us to this restored situation. Now, see, see why this is important. So if, you're, if you think you're living the dream, I'm living the dream. If you think you're living the dream because you've bought a condo in Florida and you've bought a whole new wardrobe from Savile Row or Eddie Bauer, depending on your taste. Well, the dream is actually about a lot more than that. It's about being restored to who you were designed to be, not just getting really good looking and looking really good. So when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like, what is this like? We were like those who dream. So here comes the dream. What is it like? What does this joy factory give us? Then. So the then word is repeated, isn't it? Each time it's telling us what the dream is like. Then, what is it like? Then our mouth was filled 
with laughter. (laughs) You've really got to stop there because you've got to get the image of that phrase really clear in your mind. Filled with laughter. Our mouth filled with laughter. This is not a little tweak of the lips. This is not a polite living room chortle. Oh, yeah, very funny. This is not a snigger behind your hand, sort of sarcastic. (laughs) This is not merely a happy laugh. Oh, yeah, that was good. This is a slap your thigh, burst out in laughter. L-O-L. Laugh out loud. Giggle fit. Our mouth was filled with laughter. Can you see the picture? Wide open. Staffed in. Yawning chasm. Filled with laughter. That's the dream. That's what it's really like to connect to God. There was a, a Presbyterian a Baptist and an Anglican on a plane. And the one who told the best joke was the one who was going to be allowed to stay on the plane. And they all got thrown off and died because jokes like that are always so bad. So this is not just one of those bulletin blooper jokes online or Sunday school bloopers, you know, the epistles of wives of the apostles and the rest. This is tears rolling down your face, laughing out loud together. It's so good, you're just, wow! You start laughing, wow, that's amazing! And it goes on. Our tongue with shouts of joy. Uh, I like the translation, shouts of joy. Other versions have songs of joy, which is fine. But the sense of it, I think, is this sort of shouting song. It's not the sort of nice, kind of pretty, quiet song. It's a shout of joy, in that sense, song. It's kind of like the fist pump shout when you score a touchdown or hit a home run or, for you scholarly type, score straight A's. Yay! I got a 4.0 on my Greek. Yay! Then they said among the nations... The Lord has done great things for us. In other words, when they started laughing out loud, L-O-L, really loud, and shouting songs of joy, yay! Then everyone around looked at them and thought, whoa, something good's going on there. I want to be part of that God thing. They said among the nations, those who are not yet a part of God's people, The Lord has done great things for them. And they agreed, yeah, we're glad he has. That's the dream. Now again, this is not a temperament thing, for which I'm very glad, because frankly I'm a bit out of my comfort zone here. When I told my wife I was preaching on joy this weekend, she started laughing out loud. (laughs) It's not as if I'm the joy monster around the home. I'm not the world's expert on being happy or anything. 
as an Anglican uh, growing up, you could tell when things were really getting out of control in church when someone said the general confession in the liturgy with particular gusto. And the vicar gave the absolution with a little twinkle in his eye. That was about as wild as it got. The point is that this dream is connected to God and worship and church. Here's the hymn book of the church. That dream that you have of life that is like living the dream, that all of that is actually found, surprisingly, in God. Now, I don't think there's anyone here who wouldn't want that, whatever your temperament, whatever your situation, tough or easy, to have that constant joy. So let's find out how we can get it. There's the dream. How do you get it? So second, the dream come true. Joy is a dream come true. We've had the dream. Now we've had how it comes true. So I'm going to read out again the second half of the psalm. And I want you to look down with me at your Bibles or in the text in the, in the bulletin. Um, because there's one very important, crucial, essential contrast you've really got to get if you're going to have this dream of joy come true. So listen with me. Look down as I read. He says now, verse uh, 4, Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Now, remember how this mirrors verse 1. We've had the dream. Now we're having him looking for that dream as a model for those who will read the psalm, a model for us to look for it in the same way that he did. So restore our fortunes, O Lord. Here's the dream. How do we get it? Like streams in the Negeb. Now, Negeb means parched or dry, probably. And it was the southern part of the country, not exactly where that word now refers to, but roughly speaking, the same area, the southern part of the country. Like streams in the Negeb, that is water flowing in a desert. So seasonal rains transform certain desert areas. Amazingly, suddenly they come to life. Then he says, here is the ongoing contrast. We've had one, here's another one. Same contrast, different image. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. So then he goes on. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So there's the contrast. Twice over, same contrast between desert and streams of water, between crying and rejoicing. Now, if some of us are not very good at slap your thigh laughter, we're also, some of us, not very good at weepy, cry, feeling really emotional about things. Uh, as you all know, the reason why the British never cry is because their tear ducts were all surgically removed at birth. Again, this is not a temperament matter on the other side of this psalm either, or stereotype You know, those people, they're just the weepy sort. This is talking about a contrast in terms of a process. Who would have thought that the desert could have streams of water? Who would have thought that those few seeds would produce a massive, bountiful crop? Those who sow in tears will reap 
with joy. There's a process which is a surprising, surprised by joy, surprising contrast. Let me spell out that process which is a surprising contrast for you. Literally, spell it out. So H, H for humility, H for humility. So he's saying, restore, O Lord. He's looking up to God. It's a humble thing to do. God, I can't do it. I'm looking up to you. Would you restore me? Begins with humility. Jesus said the same thing. Blessed or happy are the poor in spirit, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those kind of people will rejoice and be glad. So to get true lasting happiness or joy means recognizing your life needs to center upon God means having the humility to turn up to God and say, I need you and not these other gods of self, sex, career, selfishness. It's you, and I'm humble now, and I need it. Restore, O Lord. In other words, God, I need you. Humility. A, advice. So will you notice it is our, not just my fortunes. It's a community our, restore our fortunes, not just my fortunes. The psalmist is in community of God's people. Let me take a pastoral sidebar here, if you like. In my view, there is a medical condition called clinical depression. So I've known people, very godly, holy people, who are clinically depressed. This is not because they're sinning. It's not because they're not praying enough or trying hard enough. It is because there is a medical condition called clinical depression. So if you have felt sad for a long, a very long time, many, say over many months, perhaps even years, You felt sad for a long time, over many months, and not all of those months were during the winter of Chicago. And you talk to someone who really gets you, who really knows you, and they say, you, you know, maybe you should go and see a Christian counselor or a pastor. Do it. Just do it. You've got nothing to lose other than your pride, humility, advice. Do it in community. The community of God's gathered people on a Sunday morning. Look for that kind of advice. Humility, advice. There are personality types that are more Eeyore-like and glasses, half-empty kind of person. Fine. But it's more than that. Listen to the advice. Humility, advice. P, perspective. So there's a big perspective that's going on in this contrast, which is the process of we're going through. Humility, advice, perspective. The Negeb streams flowing in the desert, tears leading to joy. So far in these Psalms of Ascents, we've been through the dark side of the emotions. Psalm 120, 125, we're all kind of, you know, God, I really need help. Now we're coming to the bright side of the emotions, joy, happiness in God. So the perspective here, P, perspective, the perspective here is on the storyline of the storyline of The Bible. And what we're really talking about here is then the gospel. Restoring us. That is bringing into being now the restoration that will be 
that by God's Holy Spirit now is a foretaste of heaven, that joy, part of the fruit of the Spirit. So this is not just a contrast like a cathartic effect, weeping, then rejoicing, just by the human nature of way our emotions work. This is saying because of who God is, because of what the gospel says, then if you turn to God, he will restore you now as a foretaste of the restoration to come. So your child may not get well. Your perfect job may not be given to you. But here is a restoration now of joy. Through all of that comes down as an echo or a foretaste of the joy to come. You've got to work hard at that perspective. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book Spiritual Depression says that the trouble with Christians is they listen to themselves when they should be talking to themselves. Talk to yourself. That is here in this psalm the sense of the, of the gospel. Get that perspective on what's going on. That's what this contrast is about. Joy is coming. Why? Because Christ is coming. Why? Because Christ has come, died, and risen again. This is true. He is here by his spirit. Because of this gospel, what God in Christ has done, because people are being saved, because the church is being built, because Christ is coming again, in the midst of it all, foretaste, echo, joy. Humility, advice, perspective, P. Second P, prayer. This is a prayer. Restore, O Lord. He's praying. Now, I want to speak directly to a whole room full of type A personalities. Here it is. Slow down. There's nothing wrong with running around being busy in the Lord's work and much good. Keep doing that. Serve your heart out for sure. But here's a, a very important verse that was given to me many years ago at the significant time, which is, be still and remember that God is God. So let me ask you a, 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 a direct question. Are you having a regular, daily, quiet time? I don't mean something with four other people in the room in a Bible study, good as that is, or or something with your family in devotions, excellent as that is. I mean you on your knees or in your favorite chair with the Bible open, quiet around and connecting with God in prayer and saying on a daily basis, Lord, would you restore me to joy? Restore us, restore me. Prayer, humility, advice, prayer. Perspective, prayer. And then finally, why? You. This to me is the key thing, okay? Humility, advice, perspective, prayer, you. You. Why you? Sounds strange. I mean, I wrote a book called The God-Centered Life, so why am I talking now about you? But you here seems to be the key thing. To be truly joyful, you need to be restored to who you are designed to be. It's a restoration, coming back to the way you were meant to be, as designed by God. 
That's part of the whole gospel story. Made to be in a relationship of loving obedience with God originally. We've all rebelled and therefore under his just condemnation. All people in all places, that is justice. But God in Christ has reconciled the world to himself and given us the ministry of reconciliation that we might say, be reconciled to God. That's the gospel that I'm declaring this morning. That is by faith, by trust, trust, leaning on God, trust. Only you connect yourself, you repent, tears, I'm so sorry God. And you turn, you trust yourself to God, and then you learn from him who you were always designed to be. So your you is designed to be a God-centered you. And it is the gospel that enables you to become that, to be reconciled to God, to be in Christ and Christ in you, to have your sins declared all gone all gone and his righteousness be yours because you are in Christ and therefore to be restored with shouts of joy yeah wow that's what happens when you become a Christian and then that's what happens as you become more and more who you were designed to be now as a new creation gradually figuring out what you're meant to be Working out that salvation with fear and trembling. That is, gradually becoming more and more who you were designed to be by being increasingly God-centered through the work of the gospel. Humility, advice, perspective, prayer, you. A God-centered you through the gospel of Jesus Christ, once through faith in that gospel, and gradually more and more as you were designed to be through faith in that same gospel. Uh, The story goes that Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson were on a camping trip. Holmes woke uh, Watson up in the middle of the night and he pointed up at the stars above. Watson blinked the sleep out of his eyes as Holmes asked him what he deduced from looking up. Watson said, well, astronomically, I deduce there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Oh, yes. Astrologically, Watson went on, I deduce that Saturn is in Leo. Mm -hmm. Horologically, Watson went on, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Yes. Meteorologically, I deduce that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. Said Watson, what about you, Holmes, he said. What do you deduce? Watson, said Holmes slowly, I deduce that someone has stolen our tent. (laughs) Joy. Joy is both very complex and very simple. And yet its more important aspect It's sometimes overlooked through overthinking it. Tough things happen, and we will not always feel happy. But to be truly happy, that is to experience true joy throughout all those ups and downs of the superficial emotions, 
What is that? It is to be who we were designed to be, finding that that dream can gradually come true. You can be who you were meant to be. The dream is to have a life that is so good, so full of joy and laughter and gladness that other people around look at you and say, wow, God must have given that person some blessing. Look at what's going on there. It's the dream, and the dream comes true. Being that happy in a constant, certain way, not the superficial way that reflects passing emotions. Through humility, advice, perspective on the gospel and God, prayer, and ultimately, reorientating yourselves, the you of each of us, in line with God, as that is who we were designed to be, restored to that. So you can have tears of humility, but there's a contrast that is a process here. So you have tears of humility, but if there is a faith in the gospel of God, such tears lead, they will lead, to the joy of relationship with the ultimate being in the universe who loves us, who gave himself for us, and who has designed us to live in relationship with him now and forever. That, my friends, is the kind of joy that can survive a cancer, a job loss, an economy, a war, even death. I studied the Puritans at Cambridge University. My professor was a very senior, eminent professor towards the end of his career, known for many things. He was a brilliant man, and as was the custom still among some at that time, would have you read out your paper to him so that he could respond to it immediately as you were reading. I don't know what his personal faith was or where he stood with God. He stretched me and challenged me intellectually. I remember talking to him once about the caricature, we were having this conversation, about the caricature of Puritans as a dour and despondent kind of people. You know, the puritanical myth of legend. I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, whenever you meet a Puritan, I remember he used the present tense, meet, assuming that there were still Puritans around even if they no longer wore wide-brimmed hats and buckled shoes. Whenever you meet a Puritan, he said, you meet a happy person. So we tend to think that being happy is being trite. And the more miserable we are, the more profound we must be. Nothing could be further from the truth. Why? Because God's ultimate destiny for us, who will believe? Will you believe this? God's ultimate destiny for us who will believe is not miserable profundity, but a kind of joyful severity. A thrill that reverberates with the truth that God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying 
nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That's the restoration that is to come. And that is beginning now through the down payment of the joy of the Holy Spirit. Would you embrace Jesus this morning? That is joy. Let's pray together. Let's have a moment of silence for you to think on the dream that you want to live. And then, if you will, to turn aside from putting your hopes for that dream to come true in sexual experiences or fame or just a nice, comfortable house or a good job. or even the success of your ministry and instead say to God restore us O Lord that is look to God for the joy that can only come through him and in him by the power of his gospel Father would you restore us to joy this morning Amen.